Socrates walked about and presently, saying that his legs were heavy, lay down on his back. That was what the man recommended. The man, he was the same one who had administered the poison, kept his hand upon Socrates, and after a little while examined his feet and legs, then pinched his foot hard and asked if he felt it. Socrates said no, and moving gradually upward in this way, let us see that he was getting cold and numb. Presently, he felt him again and said that when it reached his heart, Socrates would be gone. The coldness was spreading about as far as his waist when Socrates uncovered his face, for he had covered it up and said, they were his last words. Greedo, we ought to offer a cock to Asclepius. See to it, and don't forget. No, it shall be done, said Greedo. Are you sure that there is nothing else? Socrates made no reply to this question, but after a little while he stirred, and when the man uncovered him, his eyes were fixed. When Crito saw this, he closed the mouth and eyes. Such, Echecrates, was the end of our comrade, who was, we may fairly say, of all those whom we knew in our time, the bravest and also the wisest and most upright man. Welcome, everybody, to the Hemlock Podcast. Um, we're off to a bit of a morbid start. That passage described the death of Socrates. Uh, hemlock is the name of the poison that Socrates drank in that passage uh, when he was sentenced to death by the people of Athens. And I wanted to really quickly talk about why we chose that as the podcast's namesake. Um, the accusers cited two impious acts by Socrates, failing to acknowledge the gods that the city acknowledges and introducing new deities. So those two concepts is failing to acknowledge the gods of the day, the gods of the city, and introducing new deities are kind of the two things I want to center, I want to center this podcast around. Um, we know that politics and culture are in kind of a tumultuous state right now, and um, what I would like to do is create a space for discussion and creativity and an open dialogue that don't acknowledge the gods of the day. I could not care less about the mainstream narrative or political correctness or whether my opinion is popular or not, because the only way we get better, the only way we become smarter and more well-rounded individuals is by speaking our minds and if we need correction, having people correct us. But there is an impulse these days that wants to silence people, that wants to trot upon people, um, that would cancel culture as the hashtag, right? That if you say something that's outside of the cultural orthodoxy, that you get canceled and fired from your job or put out of business or boycotted or whatever it is. And, uh, and I'm a little terrified, to be honest, um, because speaking my mind is not something I've had much of a problem with, but it's the penalties for speaking your mind um, seems to be seem to be getting greater and greater uh, every year that goes by. So um, I see what ha what happens in I see what's happening in my own hometown, a little town called Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, um, and it's kind of been a um, sort of a conservative haven for a long time, and. Um, there's there's aspects of conservatism that I, I thoroughly enjoy, I'll be honest, I identify as a conservative myself, um, that I see we're starting to lose. We're starting to liberalize in what I view as many negative ways. Um, and 
although it somewhat frightens me to speak up about it, I, I realize that if we don't have people from both sides willing to speak their minds despite the consequences, that we are only going to tilt more and more towards extremes. So that being said, um, welcome people of all stripes. I don't care what your creed, color, gender, whatever it is, it doesn't bother me at all. What I care about is um, your ideas and your philosophies um, and your ability to communicate them and communicate them well and defend them properly. So welcome to the Hemlock Podcast. That's what we're about and let's jump in. So, like I said, welcome to the Hemlock Podcast. I so appreciate you guys tuning in and listening, um, and I hope you guys engage and respond and shoot me messages because this isn't meant to be a one-sided conversation. So, that being said, a couple things right off the bat. It would massively help us. We are registered on locals.com, so if you go to the hemlockpodcast.locals.com, um, any support would be super helpful. Obviously, podcasting is not known to be a super lucrative business off the bat, um, so any bit of support you could offer would be amazing. Um, it would help feed my dog and help prove to my future wife who I'm getting married to in a month that you can maybe make some money off podcasting, which is going to be pretty important (laughs) going forward. Um, so any support you guys could send my way would be super, super helpful. I would super appreciate that. Um, also leave us a five star rating on iTunes that helps us put the charts, um, and helps us get seen, um, by more people. So more people can kind of tune into what we're talking about if you guys enjoy the content and, uh, yeah, subscribe to us on YouTube. All these podcast episodes will be on, on YouTube as well. If you want to look at me while I'm talking, um, instead of just hearing the sweet, sweet sound of my voice in your ears, you can also watch these as well on YouTube. Um, all those links are in the episode description and I'd appreciate that. If you like the content, do as many of those as you can and, uh, very grateful to it. Thanks so much. Okay, so let's get into what we're talking about today. Uh, I want to jump into definitions, which may or may not sound boring to you, depending on how much you are like me. Um, But I think if we're going to have a proper discussion, then using precise terminology and knowing exactly what we mean when we're talking about specific things is really important. So I'm going to talk about a couple things today. Um, We use a lot of different words to describe current events, movements, ideologies. So what do they mean at the root level? And should we line up where we think we would if we understood the true implications of the movements we align with? So I'm going to jump into a couple of the big ones we're going to be talking about a lot on the show, and we'll go from there. So buckle in and let's uh, let's get to it. Okay. So first one I want to talk about is a concept called virtue signaling. So this is something you may or may not have heard, kind of depending on how much you're into the political sphere and political philosophy. But virtue signaling is simply the desire to obviously signal your own virtue. And I think it so aptly describes the responses of people to things in the news, right? We hear about something, the coronavirus, for example. We've seen a lot of virtue signaling about mask wearing, where, so initially, the WHO and even Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's who's, um, advising Donald Trump on the coronavirus, said, don't wear masks, masks don't help. Um, That is now uh, well known to be not true and even Fauci admitted that he was saying that so there wasn't a rush on masks um, so that there would be enough left for frontline workers, nurses, doctors, emergency services, stuff like that. So you had a bunch of people saying masks don't help, don't wear masks, is stupid, right? Um, 
leave them for the frontline workers, virtue signaling. Oh, if you buy a mask, you're taking them from the frontline workers and trying to look good for themselves, right? Trying to look like I'm on the side of the angels and keeping the frontline workers safe. Then it comes out two weeks, a few, not maybe two weeks, but it comes out, uh, Fauci has since admitted he said that so that there wasn't a rush on masks, but that was just simply false, right? That masks obviously do have some effect on spreading the virus and you should be wearing masks. And the same people who were like, don't wear masks, leave them for the frontline workers are now saying if you don't wear, if you go outside without wearing a mask, um, you're killing everybody and you're terrible person and a, and a homicidal maniac right so um but for the same uh, two opposite opinions wear a mask don't wear a mask coming from the same people um entirely to look good for themselves with equally unqualified opinions right most of the people tweeting about it putting out messages about it are not doctors they're not nurses right they have no medical knowledge outside of general whatever right um but it comes from a desire to be on the side of the angels. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with Dr. Anthony Fauci, even though his opinion changed within a month, whatever it was, right? Um, because I want to keep people safe and I want to, uh, I want to look like I'm doing my part to help society keep keep society intact and whatever it is. And I think that so aptly describes so many of our responses to everything, whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement or the coronavirus or the gun control debate or the immigration debate, anything, whatever it is. So much of how many people react is to look good to their peers, to spout off on things that we have no knowledge about um, in order to simply look good, right? It's simple, it's simple hubris, it's simple vanity. Um, and I think it's something we all need to be aware in ourselves, have the aware of in ourselves, have the humility to recognize that the inclination to tweet something or to post something on Instagram or to like on Facebook or whatever um, comes from a desire to look good rather than from a desire to actually offer an informed opinion that furthers the public discourse, rather than in many cases harms it by spreading false information um, from nefarious sources, debatable sources, right? Um, so that's virtue signaling. So um, the next one is, this is an interesting one. So I don't know if you've heard of the term horseshoe theory. Um, this basically talks about the political, the left-right dichotomy in politics, right? So you're on the left or you're on the right. Um, typically the way it's described, and I'm going to try to reverse this. So if you're watching this, um, that it actually makes sense left and right for you. So anyways, um, <laughs> but like on the left, you have like, let's say Stalin and communism, for example. Um, and then on the right, you have like Hitler is the classic example, Hitler, and he's fascist. He's on the right. So there's Stalin and communism and Hitler and fascism and and everything in between, right? So here's the center and then you have a whole line. Horseshoe theory just takes them and does this. Takes those extremes, does this. So you have the middle up here and then you go a little bit right, a little bit left. And as you approach communism and fascism, the extremes, you actually get closer to the middle again. And what I, what I mean by that is not closer to the middle being... Um, it being like moderate in the middle, but the extremes. And so this kind of sums it up really nicely. Uh, and I'll post the link to this source in, uh, in the episode description. But a common example used is that of communism and fascism. Communism is an extreme left ideology with a strong central state. The population must work for the collective good. Fascism is an extreme right ideology with a strong central state. The population must work for the collective good. Another area where you see this resemblance is in race relations. There are factions on both the far right and the far left who argue for segregation. Those on the far right 
fear a white genocide due to race mixing, while those on the far left fear a black genocide due to race mixing. So that talks about how as you approach the extremes of the political spectrum, you actually get closer to the middle in certain respects, right? So um, actually Dave Rubin breaks this down really nicely. He thinks that the new political, political spectrum is not a left and right dichotomy, but an authoritarian and a libertarian dichotomy, right? So, um, <laughs> A lot of times, for the longest time, conservatives were looked at as the scolds, right? And they were like for traditional values and they weren't open to any new ideas or any new whatever it was. Um, and that the left was pushing for more freedom and liberalism. Liberal means free, right? Um, liberty, same word, same root. Um, and so the left was pushing for more liberty and more freedom while the right was kind of, kind of clinging to more, um, more controlling tendencies, more authoritarian tendencies, right? Um, traditional values, standards, and, and, and codes of conduct, that, code of, that sort of thing. Um, what has happened recently is you see a perfect example of this where it's like um, what's called the Overton window, the sphere of acceptable political opinions has shifted. So you have basically the left and the right moving. So the left and the right, it's done this, it's gone this way, right? So that um, the right, the conservative movement, what used to be a little more authoritarian, a little more controlling, has moved to the closer to the middle, has become more liberal and more free, um, more of a liberty movement, whereas the left has gone so far, political correctness is a great example, right? Um, what you can or cannot say, that's an authoritarian tendency, right? So. Um, you know, we, we, there's a lot of talk about like what you can refer to different races as, right? I'm talking about like, like uh, let's say, uh, let's use the words, um, Native Americans, which I'm not even sure if that's the most recent term you're supposed to use. Uh, Native Americans or indigenous peoples, right? Um, used to be called Indians because there was a mistake about Columbus thought he landed in India or whatever it was, right? And so they call them Indians. Um, that's no longer an acceptable term, right? You can't call a Native American an Indian or an indigenous person an Indian because um, that's not actually what they are. And that one actually kind of makes sense, right? But there's a lot of control over what you can and cannot refer to different races uh, as, right? Or anything as, whether it's genders or sexualities, or whatever, there's rules around that. Um, whether you like it or not, that's an authoritarian tendency, right? If I call a Native American an Indian and you go, no, you can't do that, that's whether you're right or not, right? Maybe I'm a jerk for calling someone an Indian when they're Native American, and that's the probably right, right? Um, but that's still an authoritarian tendency. So you see the left, which used to be pushing for more freedom and more openness and more tolerance, now cracking down on, on terms, right? Cancel culture is a great example. Like you're gonna dig up tweets from 10 years ago um, that you made about any given subject, and that's no longer part of that's no longer acceptable so we're going to cancel you and you're going to lose your job and get fired and no one's going to watch your tv show anymore whatever it is right that's authoritarianism so that you see that as they get closer to the bottom they get more extreme more authoritarian right um even even the example that hitler was right wing which is obviously most people associate hitler with being far right and fascist right it's interesting that nazi you break down that term means national socialist socialist being a very left-wing ideology um but like this quote said right strong central state people working for the collective good but only that's the right wing part of it is the nationalism it's they were fighting for only germany not for anyone else right so he gets branded right wing even though centrally planned economy people working for the collective good of germany left-wing ideologies right stuff to think about um so 
again, because of that, as you get closer to the extremes, you get closer back to the middle, more of an authoritarian philosophy. So um, let's talk about definitions. So like the left, that's kind of the horseshoe theory. Let's talk about left versus right. And this is interesting now because I don't, I don't think this definition holds anymore. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but generally, this is from Wikipedia. Generally, the left wing is characterized by an emphasis on ideas such as freedom, equality, fraternity, rights, progress, reform and internationalism, while the right wing is characterized by an emphasis on notions such as authority, hierarchy, order, duty, tradition, reaction, and nationalism. Now, you just heard me talk about the horseshoe theory, and what I think about that is I don't think those definitions quite hold anymore. Um, I see largely, and this is my opinion, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but um, that the conservative movement has moved much further towards liberty than the left recently. The left has moved towards authoritarianism and cancel culture and, and orthodoxy. Um, to the point where you almost have a secular religion, right? You see some of the Black Lives Matter has very religious undertones in the sense that um, certain people are being made to kneel. I'm not talking about what the validity of Black Lives Matter or anyth anything, um, whatever side of the debate you fall on that matter. I'm just saying that when you have people being forced to kneel and, and offer repentance, uh, those are religious undertones in a secular context. Um, and so sort of the order and hierarchy and orthodoxy uh, no longer, I think, are associated with the right as much um, as you see in the left today. Um, and again, that's my opinion and comment if you'd like to. Um, so <clears throat> next is socialism, capitalism. So similar left and right still. Those are kind of like if you tend towards the right, you usually tend towards capitalism. If you tend towards the left, you usually tend towards socialism. But I hear those terms thrown around a lot and most people misconstrue them. So, and kind of the difference between communism and socialism is per, they're fairly interchangeable. Um, Lenin himself said that socialism was a stepping stone to communism. So they're similar. You can parse them out slightly, but um, for the most part, a very similar, very similar philosophy. And I'll even post a link to an article that kind of breaks down the differences that you can find. Um, but the basic philosophy is with socialism from each according to his ability to each according to his contribution. Communism is from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. But both are central governments. Um, both have publicly owned resources. Socialism allows for individual property a little more than communism does. Um, but both have centrally planned economies. That's the big key is essentially planned economy. So that's basically like um, the government is in control of um, the means of production or the state or they say it's the people that own the means of production. But in order for the people to own it, you have to have someone governing that, which is why socialism always goes wrong. Sorry if I'm like pulling the veil back on my opinions on socialism a little early here. But um, anytime a government has to plan the economy and like make decisions for like, oh, we need this much leather for belts made this year, which means we have to have this many cows killed, but only this many used for leather and not for meat and whatever it is, right? Um, those those discussions get very nuanced and for any for a government to make all those decisions rather than a free market uh it always goes wrong that's why socialism has never worked ever um even people say the scandinavian countries they, they all tout themselves they have very strong capitalist economies um with high taxes and large social programs but they're not socialist economies they're not centrally planned economies they're free market capitalist economies um so um, socialism, centrally planned economies, a government in charge of the means of production and the distribution of wealth. Um, capitalism, on the other hand, and again, capitalism gets a bad rap for like 
income inequality, stuff like that, right? Um, which we'll get into as the show goes on. But um, a quick definition of that is an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods, by investments that are determined by private decision and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market. Um, it's basically the premise that a free market is better at deciding supply and demand and prices um, much better than any central government without access to all the information all the time, which is, of course, true when you think about it. Um, Thomas Sowell, who is um, an economist, um, he writes a book called The Basics of Economics, which is a phenomenal read on this subject, talking about how it takes incredible arrogance and hubris to centrally plan an economy and think that any one people or a small group of elite people in a government possess the knowledge to make economic decisions for an entire society, which to me, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and Thomas Sowell is a genius. So <laughs> uh, I highly recommend that if you're interested in the subject. So that's kind of socialism and communism, just to break those, those terms down and what I mean when I refer to those um, throughout the rest of the tenure of the Hemlock podcast. Um, the West. And, and this is one that could be more controversial because there is a lot of anti-Western sentiment in in the culture at large and in academia currently. But when I say what I mean, the West, and I'm a proponent of Western culture, and that is not a racist position to hold, nor an elitist one um, or a sexist one. What I mean when I say the West is the two, the twin pillars of Jerusalem and Athens, um, largely the Judeo-Christian philosophy and the Greek philosophers of old um, are the two pillars of Western philosophy. And you look at practically how those have, have played out over time is you have nations that have less poverty, that have more freedom and, and more equality and more opportunity um, than many other examples of many other cultures. Um, and again, I don't believe that culture is tied to race, so I do. I mean, I have no racist sentiment when I say that. Um, you can have a white culture that does not value marriage, for example, um, and wants to break the family down um, and does not care about fatherhood or motherhood and raising children. And you can have a white culture that is totally about the family and about fathers sticking around. And, and, and those can both be found within white culture, right? So I don't believe culture is tied to race. Let me just parse that out for it. Um, so why I like Western culture is it's, um, and I believe this to be statistically true, it is provided for the most opportunity, the most accepting cultures of any race, color, or creed, right? There are many nations in the world where if you don't practice the religion held by the state, um, you have violence enacted upon you. Um, and that's been true largely throughout history. Um, and I think that, yes, does the West have had, we've had our missteps for sure. I'm not trying to whitewash, <laughs> to use the slightly ironic term, I'm not trying to whitewash history as saying the West is perfect, right? We've had our mistakes, we've had our mishaps, but largely, um, Martin Luther King said the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice, right? I think he can only have been talking about the Western world because in many nations and many cultures today, um, it is not bent towards justice. It's bent towards uh, further crackdowns on religion and sexuality and and race even. Um, but the West has not. The West has moved towards more liberty and more freedom and more opportunity and less poverty, generally speaking. And I, and I, I appreciate that about Western culture and I'm unapologetic about it. Um, so 
that's what I say when I mean the West. So that kind of sums up things today. We're going to be talking a lot about, about a lot of stuff. Um, I've got a long list of topics I want to cover already. Things I have been wanting to say for a very long time that are maybe not popular to talk about, but we're going to talk about them here. Um, again, I want to create a space that is safe for even saying you're a conservative these days can get you, uh, get you flack. So I want to create a space that is safe for conservatives. Um, and, uh, and, and, and again, on the other side, safe for liberals and people who hold leftist ideologies. Um, I, I don't tend to think that a lot will listen to a podcast like this, but I remain completely open to be proven wrong, right? I, the reason I tend to conservative myself is I find conservatives more open and willing to listen to discussions from every, every stripe, color, and creed. Um, more open to that, more open to discussion and to open dialogue where I find the left is cracking down, cracking down a lot on that lately. And I don't like that. I like, I like freedom, right? Liberty, uh, and open discussions. So that being said, um, those are kind of the main ones I want to talk about today. So I want to get into a couple more things today. Um, we are going to be hosting a segment called the mailbag. So anyone who would like to send a question or supply their thoughts to the podcast, um, you can post a comment on any one of our mediums, whether it's YouTube or Facebook, or um, I'll have an email address set up in the in the description of this episode that you can send your thoughts to. Again, we don't want this to be a one-sided conversation. We want to include as many people as possible and get a diverse array of opinions. So um, send in your questions, comments, and uh, I want to hear from you for sure. So I'd like to thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Hemlock Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you tune in for the next one we're looking to do in a weekly podcast. Um, so look for episode two soon. I hope to hear your voices on it by submitting your questions to the mailbag. All the links will be in the episode description. Thank you so much. Have an excellent week and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers.